0: Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 190 of the Momony Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Morales. Thanks for joining me for another episode. This one's going to be a good one. I'm going to be talking to John David Mann. He's an award-winning author. I mean, it's a crazy bio. He has co-authored books that have sold more than 3 million copies, uh, including best-selling classic, The Go-Giver with Bob Berg and the New York Times best-selling memoir, The Red Circle with former Navy SEAL Brandon Webb. Uh, Also crazy, he's an award-winning composer and cellist. And he's an entrepreneur and author. He has a book called Take the Lead with former White House staffer Betsy Myers, uh, and which was named by Tom Peters in the Washington Post the best leadership book of 2011. He knows what he's talking about, and he is uh, joining forces with one of my favorite authors of all time, David Bach. You know, from the Automatic Millionaire and uh, a bunch of other amazing books, and they are coming out with a book called The Latte Factor. Because, as you know, David Bach, uh, he he coined that term, the Latte Factor, um, way back when, and people have been saying it and using it all the all the time oh my gosh honestly i feel like when i talk to personal finance people they always talk about the latte factor like every freaking day so because it is like basically common It's just part of our vocabulary now in the personal finance sphere. Um, David Bach and John David Mann um, are co-authoring a book called The Latte Factor out May 7th, but you can pre-order now. Um, And we're going to be talking about what exactly is in that book so you can grab a copy and you will want to grab a copy. I read it. I loved it. A very easy read. And it's also amazingly not just like a how-to book. That's, you know, it's a narrative. It's like a story. You can read it and just like absorb it and see yourself in it. I totally re- related to the main character. It's a great read. So we're gonna talk about all that good stuff in this episode. But before I get to that interview, here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money podcast is supported by Sonnet Insurance. How much are you paying for home, auto, or tenant insurance? Better yet, do you know what's in your insurance policy? If you don't know, you're not alone. In Sonnet's recent survey, they discovered that one in three Canadians haven't read their home and auto insurance policies either, which is why Sonnet stands out from other insurance companies. They've rewritten all their policy documents so you can actually understand how you're being protected without the needless jargon. And if you have questions, they're on standby via live chat, email, or give their award winning customer service team a call to speak to a real human. Sonnet's aim isn't just to protect its clients, but to make the whole insurance process easy. Don't believe me? Visit sonnet.ca to get a quote online in just five minutes. It's really that easy, and one of the reasons I switched over to Sonnet myself. Try it out yourself by visiting sonnet.ca. Once again, that's sonnet.ca. Thank you, John, for taking the time to chat with me on the Mo Money podcast. I'm excited to dive in.
1: Totally my pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Yeah. So before we dive in, um, you have been around for a while and have quite the resume. It's kind of crazy. Um, But for people who are just learning about you for the first time, want to give me a little bit of a background. You have a very diverse career, if I can say that. (laughs) And I want to know how the hell you ended up here.
1: (laughs) Wherever here may be.
0: How the hell did this what happen?
1: What is going on? Um, I, I'm really not ADD. Honestly, I'm not. But then again, um, yeah, my career looks a little bit like a game of hopscotch. I've kind of jumped around, and uh, it, it wasn't really my intention. I, I never really quite knew what I set out to be. I just kept getting interested mm-hmm. in things. So I started out in uh, in classical music. My dad was a was mm-hmm. a choral conductor and a musicologist, and I I performed. I was a composer. I played cello. I that's what that's kind of was my career to start. And then I got interested in nutrition and health, and I got interested in education. I started a high school. Actually, I, I dropped out of high school and started an alternative high school with with a group of friends. And, oh wow! Yeah, and that, and that just that was kind of my first entrepreneurial venture, I guess. Um, and and I didn't know that's what it was called at the time, but that's when I kind of learned the 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 limitlessness. Of the possibilities to what you can do if you uh, are oblivious to the limitations that are supposed to be there. <laughs> that was a long mm-hmm. sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> from there, I went and I uh, I got involved in nutrition and health, as I say, and then I got involved through that in in writing, and I and I kind of went into sales and and spent about a decade uh, very involved in in uh, in sales and marketing, and then ended up. Um, being the guy that helped make other people's written stuff better. I kept en- ending, mm-hmm. editing articles and editing interviews and eventually was editing full time and then co-writing and co-authoring. And that's when I fell into this book thing. And I've, I've written, uh, I should say co-authored uh, up, upwards of two dozen books at this point. So that's that's oh, wow. what I do. And that's how we got here.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of books, but I guess you, you love what you do <sighs> now. Uh, now you have a lot of books out there. What are they all kind of different topics or?
1: Yeah, there, there are a couple of main themes. Um, th- the books that I'm best known for are the, the business parables or the personal development par- parables. Mm-hmm. They kind of cross over. Um, like the book we'll be talking about today, um, you know, the latte mm-hmm, factor, mm-hmm. but I, uh, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I wrote a book with my buddy, Bob Berg called the go giver. And that mm-hmm. um, that kind of caught on. It struck a chord. And it came out right at, at the at the foot of the financial crash in 2008. And mm-hmm. it took off and, and became very well known. It sold all over the world, just won awards and blah, blah. And that kind of made my name and got my foot in the door of publishing in New York. And there are some sequels mm-hmm. to that, The Go-Giver Leader, The Go-Giver Influencer, um, and then I've also written a, a whole bunch of military books with a former Navy SEAL who's a friend of mine. Mm. His memoir and a number of other memoirs of his friends, and even some some business and entrepreneurial books with him since he's become a businessman since leaving the service. Wow. Um, and and then a bunch of memoirs of other people's fascinating stories. You know, they have people who've lived a fascinating story, but but really can't. Can't write it. So I do the writing part. Mm-hmm. And I, it's kind of like being an actor and taking on somebody else's persona and playing them through, you know, 300 pages.
0: Oh, that's an interesting way to say it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, how, so, I, I don't know kind of what your relationship with David Bach was before, or <laughs> or how like into the personal finance world you happened before. It sounds like you were you know probably always pretty interested in it. But I mean, David Bach, he was one of the first authors that I ever read. Yeah. When I started getting interested in this about a decade ago, and so when I read the Latte Factor, the the new book that you co-authored, it felt to me kind of like uh, a bunch of his different books put into kind of a narrative and it sounded like it, it kind of felt like it was like put together in order to be that new book for this new kind of generation. Is that kind of what the, the yeah. goal was?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it has a funny Genesis, actually interesting Genesis for, for me. Um, so the go giver was the first book of mine. It wasn't my very first book, but it was the first book that really caught notice and it came out again, as I said, in, in the very beginning of 2008. So before mm-hmm. the, a little before the crash and, um, I had interviewed David for a business magazine I wrote for a, a year or two earlier, and I'd loved the mm-hmm. interview. And it, it, that's where I met a lot of people that I ended up writing with. Um, mm-hmm. everyone from Stephen Covey to, to, uh, Colleen Barrett of Southwest airlines and all kinds of fascinating people. I interviewed David and I mm-hmm. loved what I was taken by. I got to tell you, Jessica, wasn't just the, the financial principles, which are so beautifully simple. And we'll come back to the simple theme. Uh, and so so uh, uh, actionable, so practical, and so accessible. But I also just loved kind of his larger message, which was, he told me in that interview, he said, you know, I believe that everyone was put here on this earth to do something, to do something unique, something that nobody else can do, and that most of us aren't doing it because we spend our lives leasing and loaning our lives. And I, mm-hmm. uh, my dream, my mission, my goal is to help people buy back their own lives so they can do what they were put here to do and live fulfilled and happy lives. And I was like, dude, this guy isn't just a money guy. He's, he is a money guy, but he's also a life guy. Um, and I, yeah. I just loved his, his approach. So, uh, I approached a lot of people for endorsements for the Go Giver back in 2007. David's endorsement of the book was so beautiful that we, it ended up on the cover. Uh, you won't no, find wow. it there today because uh, we put a new uh, quote from Adam Grant when we did a new edition in 2015. But David's quote mm-hmm. was just gorgeous. And um, he said, not since Who Moved My Cheese have I read a parable as much as I like for this. Read this book. It'll it'll uh, touch your soul and move your heart. I, I laughed and I cried. Something like that. It was just, it was lovely. Mm-hmm. So wow. he approached me a few months after the book came out and said, hey, I, I'd like to do this parable. I got this idea and and his idea was very much in line with what I've I've believed for a decade now, which was that with a a thick nonfiction book with lots of detail in it, you can reach a certain audience who are interested in that topic. But if you want to reach a hundred million people, if you want to reach a lot of people, if you want your message to really get out there and touch the lives that it ought to be touching, a lot of people don't read big books. A lot of people yeah. don't read period, and this isn't just an uh, you know a social media thing. A lot of people didn't read books eighty years ago, you know yeah, a lot of people don't read. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many people have said to me in the last ten years you know i i, I maybe read a book a year, maybe not even that. I could read like two books since high school since college, yeah. but I read your book over a weekend. It's the go giver, mm-hmm. and you know I, I love that so mm-hmm. David said. I want to reach a bigger audience, a different audience, a new audience with my ideas, but in the form of a parable like the Go-Giver. Do you want to do that with me? And I said, God, are you kidding? Of course. So we started talking about it. And I had this idea for a story about a young woman. Her name wasn't Zoe Daniels then, but I um, had this basic idea for a young woman and it involved a piece of art that she fell in love with and that she wanted, but it wasn't just about the this this art that she wanted that she couldn't afford there was something you know deeper and bigger about her life that she wanted and she thought that she couldn't afford and that seemed inaccessible and that that kind of yearning that is mm-hmm. behind all you know all real stories somebody wants something deeply mm-hmm. we started writing it and then the crash happened and then david got busy writing some other books and then one thing and the other and blah blah and 10 years went by and uh he came back. Uh, he he uh, had a, an evening he spent with um, Paulo Coelho, the author of The Alchemist, mm-hmm. which is on just about everybody's one of my favorite books list. Uh, mm-hmm. Beautiful parable, and uh, he got inspired by Coelho to to go back and write this book. So he approached me and said, "Hey, remember that idea ten years ago? Uh, you still want to do that?" <laughs> it's like, oh God, yes, I've been thinking about this for ten years, so. Wow. We finally got to write it and uh we're wow. we're both thrilled. We've had a blast doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I whipped through it so fast because i i try my best to read the books of the authors i have in my show but i get a lot of freaking books and so i'm like yeah. oh, but <laughs> big fan of david bogg and i love the the concept of the latte factor has always stuck with me since i first learned about it in yeah. my early 20s yeah. I'm like oh i want to see what's new or what's what's different about this book that you know is called the latte factor and i read it so quickly and i think a, a big reason is because it is a narrative you could just dive in and just kind of put yourself i mean obviously i totally related to the zoe character because i'm like yes that was me i mean i live in a city i definitely lived her you know life when i was in my 20s so it's very relatable so I, I i could and or there's a lot of people i talk to now because i'm not so much as zoe anymore but there's people that i'm i know that are just like her and so i'm like this is very easy to digest yeah and it's very reminiscent of you know the first financial book i read which is you know i think i think it's still like the most popular financial book in canada the wealthy barber which is a narrative and just it, it's different than there's so just like you said there's so many financial books out there it gets overwhelming mm. number 1 number 2 yeah. i think you have to be very uh, on a kind of different level to have the motivation to go to the bookstore and pick up a, you know, nonfiction book about how to do money. And so it's, it, most people don't kind of read that stuff unless yes. it's like one of these books that, you know, you get recommended by a friend and you're like, it's so easy to read. You're going to find yourself in this book. You can read it in an afternoon and you're good. And that's why the wealthy barber has been so successful. Everyone talks about it and it's very easy to read. And so this was actually a nice pleasant surprise because, It talks about the most important things I think you need to know, especially when you're younger and just kind of learning what are some of the key things I need to know to kind of better my financial situation. But it's, it is like accessible for anybody. Like you can, you can relate to Zoe or have a very different life, but the the key kind of findings in the book, like pay yourself first, make it automatic, live rich now are very easy to understand and they're like actionable to any one situation, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm A, not a woman, and B, not young. <laughs> and <laughs> even though I wrote the book, I like I totally relate to this. And there, there are baby boomers yeah. um, who to whom, honestly, we did write the book for, for, for younger people, but it doesn't have to be. It's just the, the no. principles are universal. They're applicable to anybody. And there's so many good ideas. There's so many good ideas out there that work if you do them, but you won't do yeah. them. I mean, a lot of them because they're too complicated, or they're too inaccessible, or they're too forbidding, or they're too imposing or intimidating. We wanted to make this something that people could read, put down, and that day put into practice.
0: Exactly. And these are very, like again, easy, easy concepts, but they work. Because again, like when I read The Automatic Millionaire, I'm like, oh, what a concept, making things automatic. No one's ever told me that. No one's ever explained it like that. And that was, I feel like, probably about 10 years ago that I set up those systems and yeah, they work. Cause I'm way richer than I ever expected to be at this age. <laughs> and yeah. it's because I didn't do anything special. I just set up some like, you know, automatic transfers and stuff through my bank and I'm investing and you forget that you're even investing. And then you're like, Oh wow, there's a pile of money there. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 It works. And just like you, you mentioned too, I think the, the big kind of theme of the book which i really appreciate is um it is simple and the thing that i keep on coming across especially when it comes more more specifically to investing but this idea that um it has to be complex uh and if it's simple maybe you're doing it wrong and this is something that irritates the crap out of me cuz i've done so much research i've been studying this topic of like money management for uh you know 8 years now I would say and i uh, it's i keep on coming across the same concept so i'm like okay i think it is actually that simple so why are people making it so freaking complicated what's your opinion on that i would love to know <laughs> i mean
1: isn't it fascinating when you you look at someone like warren buffett um uh-huh. his principles are are you know are they incredibly comp- complex god no the mm-hmm. opposite i mean they're just so dirt simple but but it's yeah. it's you know it's like one of my favorite stories is, you know, the, the five, uh, five frogs sat on a leap head. Um, one decided to jump off. How many are left? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is there's still five because the one only decided to jump off. He hasn't actually done it yet. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. It's like there are lots of great ideas out there, but will you do them? And the beauty of, mm-hmm. of, of, of David's uh, concepts for me is that, you, is that people do them. I mean, he's, he's had literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people since he started 20 years ago with the Automatic Millionaire and, and smart women finished rich, come back to him and say, just like you said, Jessica, it's like, Oh my God, mm-hmm. I did this 10 years ago and and here's what's happened. I've got the results. I yeah. do think that there's, I mean, I, I appreciate complexity. My God, I, I grew up in the world of mm-hmm. classical music where there's great complexity, but, but mm-hmm. there's nothing as profound as simplicity. That's why, the yeah. you know, whether it's storytelling or music or finance you find these simple principles, and they're so universal that they're that they last, and they last, and they last.
0: Yeah, they work, and I. I feel like especially with finance, like I'm glad it's simple because it does seem so complex, but it, it shouldn't be because I've talked to so many guests and it, we always kind of come back to this idea that, you know, we earn money, we spend money. Why on earth does the whole management of money have to be like, oh, sorry, you need like a special degree to learn like, yes. to manage it properly? Yes, or the
1: stock market. I mean, the stock market. Uh-huh. What could be simpler than the idea that when, you know, when, when your favorite stocks start plunging, what does everybody do? Mm-hmm. They go, oh my God, and they sell. Wait. Yep. That's the opposite. It's like the principle yeah. is so simple. You know, yeah. <laughs> buy when it's low, buy sell low, when it's sell high. high.
0: Come on. Yeah. It's so simple, but people don't do
1: it. But the thing, the thing <laughs> yeah. about that one is that, you know, yeah. it, it's people's emotions get in the way. Yeah. And yeah. that's the whole thing about, you know, budgets and saving and everything else. Uh, it's like mm-hmm. the ideas are simple, money is simple, math is simple, but people are complicated. So finding a way to make mm-hmm. Money work when people are involved, like us, mm-hmm. that's, I mm-hmm. think, the, the that's the magic of it. That's the skill of it. That's the beauty of it.
0: Yeah. And I think the other component, too, is not just the emotions, but there's, there's always so many exceptions or th- ah. other things to consider, like- yeah. Recently, I shared a tweet that had something, you know, pointing to an article about um, how to save for retirement and use RRSPs, and someone tweeted back, oh, I thought you weren't supposed to invest using an RRSP unless you made $93,000 a year. I'm like, that is a very specific <laughs> rule of thumb. And I'm like, well, you can – you know, rule the rules of thumb are great, but – you can't just be like, I'm not going to, you know, invest for my retirement in this specific retirement account until I make ninety three thousand oh. dollars a year. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. but it's right. like you really need to understand what what the tool is and how to properly use it. But and I think that's that is like kind of the key thing. People are trying really hard to do the right thing. Yeah, but there's so many different people pointing them in different directions. It gets it gets yes. kind of. You know, and then that's when they get that, you know, uh, ah. analysis paralysis, as people say, and they don't yes. do anything. They don't, exactly. you know, they, they talk about, oh, I thought RSPs are the great, you know, it vehicle, or I heard you were not supposed to use those. And then they just don't do anything anyway.
1: And that's the tricky thing. It's like, yes, simplicity is, is, is so key, but simplicity doesn't mean simplistic. It's like yeah. take one single piece of wisdom or directive and apply just that. No, I'm saying you have to have context. You have to have balance. You have to, you know, have at least several principles going on that balance each other because there is such a thing to be simplistic. Like, yes, rule of thumb, but you have four more fingers. So, you know.
0: Yes, (laughs) Use those too. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I think having, like continuing to educate yourself because there's never just a moment where you're like, well, I know it all. It's like, well, things change. My goodness, do they ever change, especially in the financial world. But also having the kind of confidence in yourself that you may do something a little bit differently Mm. like going back to that example this person thought this is the right way to do it i'm like well i for example know what you're talking about i kind of know understand you're talking about tax implications and all that stuff but for me i don't make that much but i do use an RRSP. and having the confidence to basically not do exactly what you think everyone else is doing if that makes sense like it's it's very tricky when you're trying to learn what's the right way to do it and then just do whatever you think is right anyway
1: yeah, yeah, and you know, it's something interesting you said there. It's, it's and it's. I think it goes to it's simple. Doesn't isn't necessarily the same thing as as easy or as dirt simple. Mm-hmm. And that, yes, that's, that's very confusing what I said. But what I mean is, yeah, sometimes you have a simple principle, but you need to do a lot of research. You need to do a lot mm-hmm. of reading, not because it's mm-hmm. complex, or not because you need to, to master a complicated subject, but because uh, to do anything well, to do anything with great results, it really pays. To, to learn a lot about it, I mean, whether it's mm-hmm. whatever it may be, um, whether it's writing or whether it's investing or whether it's finance, I mean, one of the simple principles of investing uh, is to know the know the company, right? know the principles mm-hmm. of the company, know the the state of the company. Well, that takes research. You don't just go yep. to the company's website and say, "Oh, company looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, so there's work involved. And sometimes implementing a simple thing, I, you know, setting up a savings account or setting up a, a you know automatic payment system—that's simple, that's easy. Yeah. But sometimes doing simple things requires significant commitment and time and effort because mm-hmm. you re- it, you really do need to have an understanding yourself. You need to know your topic, not like a PhD, but like an educated layman at least. Um, yeah. And and I think that's yeah. that's you know you it can't be push button in terms of your own knowledge. It does pay to educate yourself.
0: Yeah. And yeah, like you said, too, these, te- th- these things take time sometimes. And I think people, it's, it's hard to kind of balance the be patient, but also know when to maybe pivot. And people kind yeah. of don't know when is the time to like, maybe this isn't working. Like some people will invest for a year and be like, oh, it's, you know, my investments are down. Maybe this isn't the right investment. Maybe I should pivot. It's like, mm-hmm. maybe, but it's all, also only been a year like these things do kind of take time but it's a yes you got to understand but it's like you'll i think some of those fears will go away once you do continue to educate yourself and and understand what those risks are and understand why these things take time or how much time you should take to see if it works. Or oh, yes and
1: that example you just gave i mean one of the factors there obviously is the noise out there because you mm-hmm. have you know um like you look at the noise of some bitcoin is going up and down going down. it's been been down for months right Yeah. so you go online and read what have been saying about it and you get a, a chorus of voices saying it's over, and then a whole mm-hmm. chorus of voices saying, "Oh no, 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 no! It just hasn't been started yet." And so, yeah. people, pe- you, you, you have to make a commitment to yourself that you're not going to be swayed by the noise. You can mm-hmm. go you have to sort through the noise, and and you have to make a decision. Which I don't know exactly how you do this. You have to make a decision who you're going to trust. Yeah. And, and and I don't know what the rule of thumb is, honestly, Jessica, about who you're mm-hmm. going to trust. It, it's intuition, maybe. It's just it's your feeling. You have to do enough reading enough poking mm-hmm. around to decide you know what I'm gonna to listen to this person but I'm gonna trust this one C- just because it's my decision to trust them I just feel pretty right about that otherwise Absolutely. you can be like a a you know a piece of straw in a hurricane just being blown all over the place
0: exactly it really like I feel like most financial decisions whether it's about investing or just like switching banks really has to do with not only the research but just yeah trusting yourself and and yeah kind of getting rid of that noise because people have opinions, probably the strongest opinions I feel like in finance. And for me, as you know, when I was, you know, starting to learn about this in my twenties, all that noise and all these opinions scared the crap out of me and made me not choose to, to do lots of things. Cause I didn't want to, I didn't want people to say, oh, you're doing it wrong or, or me actually make a mistake. Cause I listened to the wrong person. It's like, you do have to trust yourself and then trust your gut to trust other people or, or the right people giving the, you know, whatever financial literacy that they're giving.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's this funny thing of balancing. You know, one of the things that that makes, I think living as an adult, such a challenge Mm -hmm. is that you have to be able to embrace a certain amount of paradox and use your common Mm -hmm. sense, which Mm -hmm. in this case is, you know, for me, I'm a writer and I spend a lot of time thinking about writing because writing is difficult and, and, Mm -hmm. or it can be difficult. And one of my, I have two principles of writing. One is don't listen to anyone. But mm-hmm. yourself, and the other is listen mm-hmm. to everybody,
0: <laughs> and you have yeah. and you have to do
1: both. <laughs> I know at the same time.
0: I know. I know. <laughs> so. I know. It's just it, one thing that I, I thought was really interesting, and I really appreciated while reading the book was I feel like since this term the latte factor has been circulated, mm. so many people have different interpretations of what that means. Yes, and uh, for the longest time, I felt like there was a, a very long period of time where lots of the financial experts and like. guess the early 2000s, mid 2000s, um, were preaching that the latte factor means stop spending money on stuff that isn't essential. Mm -hmm. Live frugally, you're being selfish, blah, blah, blah. And so I definitely did that and lived super frugally in my 20s, because I thought that's what that meant. But it seemed like actually in the book, it really kind of reiterates the idea that it's not about getting rid of your latte. It's about being more aware of what you're spending your money on and really understanding what your your values are and your goals are, which I really appreciate because that's something I've been preaching for the past yeah. while because I can't stand this idea of like, stop drinking your daily coffee. It's like, what if it brings you so much joy yeah. and, you, and you can make it work and you can't afford it, you know?
1: Yeah. It's like, it's like, this is very well timed with the whole Marie Kondo movement, right? It's like, what, uh-huh. what brings you joy?
0: <laughs> I know. It's true though, man. She knows some stuff. Yeah. I fold like her in everything now. I don't know why, but I, I actually do. It does bring me joy, <laughs> this new folding system.
1: <laughs> well, and that's what this um, yeah, is. It's you're, just, you're so right. It's, that, yeah. it's like folding money, right? Um, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. It's, it's about, first of all, know, uh, knowing what's important to you. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, sometimes people get intimidated by the word values and sometimes people get intimidated by the word goals. But how about yeah. this? What's important to you? Yeah. Um, and, and, and what brings you joy i thought was it was a was a brilliant way of of saying saying this, and yeah. as you say it 's knowing where where your money's going and yeah. and making sure it 's going where you want it to go it 's not about you can't have coffee it 's not, mm-hmm. nice not about you can 't have nice clothes it 's not about you can 't have anything you can have anything if you can you know make the money to buy it yeah. it's about exactly it's about being intentional and being congruent with your spending and and what matters to you.
0: Exactly. And I believe me, when I work with uh, financial counseling clients one-on-one, most of the time, you know, we start off with looking at, uh, you know, a month spending or two months spending and we do a deep dive and I'm like, okay, we've categorized everything. Does this make you feel good? Are you happy with what this <laughs> looks like? And most of the time they're like, no, this isn't what I wanted to spend my money on. And yet here I am, spent most of my money on lunch. So it's like, well, we need to fix that. So it's not about you shouldn't be spending money on lunch. What a waste of money. It's like, if that doesn't make you feel good, then we need to do something about it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 You um, know, we had a great experience I, yeah. w- in, with the manuscript of the book before we even got it into, into the editing process at our publisher. Um, we had people both from our literary agency and also staff from the publishing company, Atria, coming back to us and saying, Oh my God, it just in the few days, in the three days since I've read this, my husband and I sat down. We've already changed this. We've changed this. It's like we had, mm-hmm. we had converts to the book before yes. we even got it published. <laughs> it was just, it was really, really, uh, sweet. And that's, you know, that's what we want to hear.
0: Absolutely. Um, another thing I really liked, and then this is again, another idea concept that I've been kind of sharing with people. And I, I love that you put it in the book is that finance or, or taking care of your money is about taking care of yourself. It's about kind of like self care. Most yeah. people think you know, like that's described in the book. The um, character Zoe was told, you know, kind of like most of us, I think, growing up, it's like, don't be selfish, Um, take care of other people, be a good person, don't, you know, and I was, I mean, I come from a Catholic background, like the guilt, it runs deep in my veins. So (laughs) I'm all about like, I have to take care of everybody and then myself, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's it's ridiculous. We need to take care of ourselves so we can take care of others, so we can, you know, uh, contribute to our community or, or help our friends and family. And I think a lot of people think that is the last thing that they have to do. It's you know, it's, it's really it, like that airport or that, that airplane kind of uh, yes. uh situation. I really like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so jarring for a lot of people. And I, I think I say a lot of people, it's almost like a cognitive dissonance, this idea, you know, mm-hmm. at one point in the book, Henry, the, the, the mentor figure uh, for those who haven't read it mm-hmm. says to Zoe, um, you know, the first principle is, is, pay yourself first. And he says, when you pay yourself first, you're really putting yourself first.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's uncomfortable for her, which I think it would be for a lot of people. What do I mean? Yep. Put myself first. That's not like the classic definition of an egocentric person.
0: Yes, But exactly. you know, as you
1: say, the airplane example is when, when, they, when they go through the routine before you take off, they say in the event of emergency, put your own oxygen mask on first. And your mm-hmm. impulse, your instinct is to put the kid's mask on first because you want to take care of them because they're your kid. Yep. But if you pass out from anoxia, you're not going to do the kidney good.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's like, and how then, are they going to like survive without you?
1: Yeah, you can't give the world what you were put here to give the world. You can't contribute to society what you're meant to contribute to society if you're spending your entire life scrambling to pay your bills. So you got to mm-hmm. put your financial feet in the ground. You owe that to the world around you because that's the way you can become you know, the full you. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. It definitely seemed like one of the kind of central themes of this book which i found in many books since you know in the past several decades and i'm almost shocked that it's still kind of an issue but it, i mean it's i think it's just a big issue it says that we're constantly busy and working and spending money and then at the end of it we don't really see anything like we're just so stuck in our little bubbles why do you feel mm-hmm. like this is i don't know i just feel like with the internet and social media and all these invam- advancements in technology we'd be more aware or more educated about all this, but we're not, we're still doing the same thing that our parents and grandparents were doing. It's just this kind of rat race kind of mentality. And I mean, when she was talking about herself working in this job, uh, you know, 50 hours a week or so, and then always kind of feeling that pinch. I'm like, that was exactly me in my early twenties. I was exhausted.
1: Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. here's what I think. I think that, um, that, it was always like that, but I think that what's different, what's changed most dramatically over the last couple generations is the idea that something more than that is possible
0: has mm-hmm. has
1: kind of lit like a match in a lot more people. I mean, in the 1940s, the 1950s, and even the 1960s, the idea that there was more than that possible was ridiculous. I mean, what, yeah. was, what was possible was retirement at the end. So when you're about to die from a heart attack, now you get to go to the Caribbean for a week.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah and then and then die on your way back. Yeah. I mean, that, that's right. <laughs> if yeah. you're so lucky.
1: But, yeah. but the idea that you could actually be in your 40s or 30s or 20s you could spend your entire life from the, from the earliest years on doing something you love, working, you know, benefiting society, contributing And, and, and also doing well financially, that that could all Mm. feed itself, that it could all be one congruent piece. It isn't like work now, enjoy later, but you could do it all as, as one integrated thing. I Mm -hmm. think that the idea that that's actually possible for a large number of people, that's a revolutionary idea. And I mean, like the four hour work week or that kind Mm -hmm. of idea, the latte factor, that's, you know, what it's all about. But I, I think you're right that I think that a lot of people didn't take that from the latte factor, because David's been talking Mm -hmm. about latte factor for 25 years, right? The Mm -hmm, book just mm -hmm. came out, but the idea has been around for, he's talked about it since, you know, since the nineties. I think a lot of people didn't take that idea of this integration of of finance and freedom. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people took, as you say, this idea that we should stop spending on frills because we're being too luxurious and we should be more, you know, you know, more Victorian and more neat and tidy, and Absolutely. take care of ourselves. Be good little ants and not grasshoppers.
0: <laughs>
1: that's not the message. <laughs> the message. I'm is- glad
0: that I'm glad because honestly, that is the message that most people have taken away from the concept of the latte factor. Yeah. In the media, yeah. that is still how it's spun. I'm like, I don't think that's what he meant.
1: <laughs> and that's why you know it was so cool. I don't want to give away the ending of the book because there really is a story to the book, and there's a character. Mm-hmm. And you know, I will say that I every time I read the book, I cry again because it's. Aww you know, moves me at the end. But the yeah. the, the central character of, of the story, Zoe, she gets mm-hmm. to a good place financially. And it's not when she's 65. And it's not mm-hmm. when she's 80. I mean, she <laughs> it's yeah. she's young. And when we're yeah. talking about something that is, is meant to be for the here and the now and the immediate and the next few years and not, you know, just after 40 years when you retire.
0: Agreed. And I think that even though Kind of my generation, the millennials. I think we were told the story from our parents that that is kind of that is the the structure of your life. It's you know uh, go to school, get a job, work said job for so many years, then retire. Like that's what I was told because that's what they knew. That's what their parents knew. Things have changed quite a bit, like you mentioned, and I feel like we're realizing this now. Luckily, sooner rather than later, way before retirement. So we're like, okay, maybe I can change things. Maybe I can take more risks or not stay with the same employer. Um, Oh my gosh, I I definitely felt when Zoe was talking to her mom. I'm like, yeah, I definitely talked to my mom sometimes like that, where she'd be like, oh, don't leave your job. You're so lucky. The grass may not be greener. Don't take that risk. And so I stayed at a lot of jobs for way too long that I hated. And I'm I'm hopeful that like this book and then young younger generations will have a different kind of mindset that you don't have to wait until retirement to finally go traveling or do what you want. Yeah. Oh my gosh, please don't do that. Because believe me, I know a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but I know some people, I've heard lots of stories, you know, kind of from, you know, my parents of their friends retiring and then a week later they're dead.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's oh not boy. good,
0: right? <laughs> like don't want to wait. They, but
1: know? they went out with a smile on their golf cart. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's a funny thing because with Zoe and the job, you know, we thought about that because we she could have, and I won't give away whether she mm. quits her job and mm-hmm. goes to a new one or she doesn't because uh, she's being tempted by this new job. But you know, it's funny. We, we wanted to give the message that sometimes the answer is get out of this job and mm-hmm. and strike out on your own and start your own company, be an entrepreneur, or move to a different job or move mm-hmm. to a different field. It, it's a it's probably a different answer for everyone. Yeah, um, I'm happy to be somebody who's I've. Almost never held down a job. I've been entrepreneurial my whole life, <laughs> but that's not for everybody. Um, the point yeah. is, we wanted to make was that you can, if you're at a job that works, great. If you're at a yeah. job that doesn't work, also great. There are things you can do to transform your life. It, it isn't mm-hmm. necessarily about being an entrepreneur or about being an employee or about moving your job or keeping your job. Or we you know there's all those possibilities are there. But no matter mm-hmm. what what your situation is you can create a life of significant freedom and enjoy it now. Travel mm-hmm. now. Take photograph photography lessons now. Take dance yeah. lessons now. Write your book now. You can do that, that yeah. stuff that matters to you. Now it doesn't have to wait.
0: Absolutely. And like really now, like honestly, when I think of, Where I am now to where I started, it's. Lots of people were like, "Oh, you're you're lucky," and you know, because I work for myself now. It's like, no, no, no. It's like I took so many risks and I did lots of things that kind of scared me but excited me, and it was very calculated too. But it's like Mm. I, the the reason I was able to comfortably make those decisions to leave a job for another job or quit my job and just try to work for myself was because I was financially stable. (laughs) I had money in the bank. I took, you know, uh, all these concepts in the book. And applied them to my life. But I I feel like one of the things that I kind of took away from that um, story too in the book was don't ever make a decision, like a big decision about like your career or even your money, just hearing someone else's perspective because they don't live your life. They're not in your shoes. They don't quite know. And never make a decision out of fear, fear of like losing that job. Like I, This is kind of like ridiculous, but I love period pieces. And so one of my favorites is Howard's End. I don't know if you've ever read the book or Mm. seen it, but basically there's one character who... He gets some advice. He's this kind of poor guy. He works as a a clerk or something for a bank or something. You think I remember this, but I don't. Anyways, he has an okay job. um, And he's told by some of these kind of new friends that, oh, you know what? We hear that that's not a very stable company. It's probably going to foreclose. You should find another job. He takes their advice, even though they don't know much about his situation. And he quits it. He finds another job. What happens? That new job? they uh aren't doing so well actually they lay off him because he was one of the first ones uh, or the last ones in the door and then he's you know broken out of a job and they're like oh sorry but so Oops. it's like if he had just really just like thanks for letting me know i'll make a decision based off the information i have that this company is fine he would have been fine and dre- yeah. like that and but even though that is like from like the 1800s is like that concept is still viable today like that makes so much sense especially like when i finished university in 2009 people were just so panicked about every little thing
1: oh yes oh my gosh mm. what a time yeah
0: <laughs> I know, and I used to work in newspapers too. Like that was quite the industry to be in. <laughs> Not yeah. a great layoffs every week. Yeah.
1: Oh my god! Oh, it, but gosh. that's it's so. And that, again, that goes back to the noise out there. And the noise mm-hmm. could just be your friends, and the noise could mm-hmm. be the entire world of the internet. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. No, <laughs> telling absolutely. you what you should telling you what you should be afraid of. Yeah, I agree. A decision out of fear mm-hmm. is is. Uh, hardly ever a good decision, almost never, yeah. maybe never.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. I've never really made a decision out of fear that I didn't really look back and like, I don't know if I needed to make that decision or whatever. But it's, the other side of it is like the taking risks. Sometimes it feels like fear, but it's not. It's It's just like, I don't know. It's like a good fear, if that makes sense. Like, I was terrified to leave my last job because my mom's like, why are you leaving your job? It's stable. You've got benefits, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, number one, I can always get another job. It's not the end of the world. If I leave, work for myself for a few years, doesn't work out, get another job. So again, that calculated risk really kind of have your plan A, B, and C. But also, you just got to kind of trust yourself in your gut and understand and, and really know you know, what are you capable of. And sometimes when you are in that kind of flight or fight or flight situation, you'll make it work. Like, you will make it work. At least that mm-hmm. f- works for me. Not necessarily for everybody. But when I'm put in a situation where it's like you need to make it work, I figure it out. <laughs> I'll figure out how to make some money. <laughs> Hustler and yeah. this millennials, I think, yeah.
1: And I, and I do think that you know I do think that there are there are people who are more. And I don't mean to make this black and white, like two mm-hmm. camps. But there are people yeah. who are more suited to the entrepreneurial life, and there are people who are more naturally. Uh, inclined to the to the employee life, and yeah. they're both you know they're both entirely viable. But either way, it's this, there's this, there's a one principle that applies universally to to, to all people in, in in any camp, and that is, it's your life, mm-hmm. and and you kind of need to be at the steering wheel of it. I mean, it's it, nobody else. You can get lots of great advice, and you ha- you can have mm-hmm. lots, lots of wisdom around you. But you do need to get behind the, drive, the uh, steering yep. wheel and drive it yourself because even if you're an employee, you know, you are bigger than the company you work for because it's your entire life. Exactly. Um,
0: exactly. Yeah, you've got to take responsibility for, for your own life and your own future. And I think that's a, a big thing in personal finance, in my view. It's not just about, you know, do this, do this, here's some rules of thumb, you know, calculate this. It's really about, uh, and, and this is also a point in the book, it's like no, one, no one's going to take care of your money. You have to take mm-hmm. care of your money. And it's, yeah. I think that's a big realization for people. People are like, oh, I kind of just figured my tax accountant would figure that out or my financial advisor. It's like, no, they don't care.
1: You <laughs> know, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to remember very clearly when we, when we lived in a world where all of our parents just thought the doctors took care of us. If there's something mm-hmm. really wrong, you go to the family doctor. And family mm-hmm. doctors still came to my house. I mean, I remember yep. being a very, very young kid, my doctor making a house call. Well, yep. the, you know, then the 70s came and then the 80s came and, and we started realizing as a population that, that, that you couldn't leave it in the hands of doctors, that, yep. we, that we had to start researching ourselves. And then the internet, of course, made that more possible to do. And now it's an entirely different world. Yep. It didn't make doctors obsolete, but my God, your health, no one is responsible for your health but you. And as you, mm-hmm. just, you just said it, your, your wealth is exactly the same way. Absolutely. There's still a reason to have financial professionals, but it's your wealth health. It's your money yep. health. It's your wealth, wealthness.
0: Wealthness. Oh, I like that.
1: <laughs> hey, new term. We just coined it. Wealthness. We just
0: coined it. I love it. Well, well, thank you so much, John, for taking the time to chat with me. Big fan of your book, and we'll tell everybody to read it, of course, because I think it's just a good read that anyone can pick up and, uh, I think get a little bit of inspiration to kind of make some, make some moves, make some money moves in their lives. <laughs> Thank you
1: so much. I pre- I love the conversation. Thank you for having me. And everybody remember this stuff in the, in the book, it's a story, but it's also real.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think you can see yourself in it. If not, you can see a family member or friend in it. That's for sure. And I think that's why it, it resonated so much for me. So, where can uh, more people learn more about you and uh, grab a copy of this book, The Latte Factor?
1: Okay, the Latte Factor is going to be available like everywhere that you can find a book. Mm-hmm. It'll be there. Um, you can find more me at my website, which is just my name. It's John with an H, J O H N, David Mann, M A N N.com. All okay. my books are there, all my stuff is there.
0: Fabulous. Yes, I'm going to definitely check out the, I mean, I may not be able to read every single book you've co-authored. There's a lot, but I'll try my best. Pick and choose, (laughs) pick
1: and choose. I'll pick and choose. Thanks again. Thanks, Jessica. Take care.
0: And that was episode 190 with John David Mann, and we were talking about his new book that is co-authoring with David Bach called The Latte Factor, which is on Bookshelves May 7th, pre-order now, Um, but I'm going to share some details on how you can enter to win a free copy of his book when it's out in just a few seconds. Here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by Sonnet Insurance. It can be pretty time-consuming collecting insurance quotes to compare prices. What's great about Sonnet is that you can do it entirely online and get a quote in just minutes. Even better, if you decide to buy Sonnet insurance, you can do that online too. It's so easy to use and understand, it really makes insurance simple. You can even see your quote update in real time if you add additional coverage or change your deductible. So you can confidently know what's in your policy and how the cost compares to competitors. Need to see it to believe it? Try it out yourself by visiting sonnet.ca. Once again, that's sonnet.ca. Okay, as promised. So if you want to win a free copy of uh, The Latte Factor or any of the books that I've had featured on the podcast so far... You can do that by either checking out the show notes, jessicamorehouse.com slash 190, or you can go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contests, and there will be uh, all the information about all the book giveaways that I am doing. Uh, and uh, I've been doing these contests for a little while now, and uh, I will start to be picking winners very soon. So make sure that you enter before time runs out. Now, I have got some other really exciting news that I cannot wait to share with you. However, um, basically, I cannot share any details until April 1st. That is the day that we, I can't even tell you who I'm talking about, but it's its, it's going to be amazing. I'm basically doing something very, very special um, coming up. I'm going to be announcing it. Uh, in April, on April first, specifically, and the best way you can find out about exactly what the hell I'm talking about, because I know I'm being very mysterious, is by, of course, listening to the podcast. But you'll always be the first to know about any exciting developments in uh, what I'm up to, new things, uh, you know, events, giveaways, whatever. If you sign up to my newsletter, so just go to jessicamorales.com/slash subscribe in order to do that. But yeah, super exciting news. April 1st. Cannot wait to share it with you. And that is sadly all I can say. I'll share more on the podcast, obviously, next week. But uh, yeah, exciting things get on the newsletter. And uh, yeah, it'll be exciting. Another thing that uh, I highly encourage you to do is I have the free, amazing Facebook group called the Money Life Balance um, Facebook group. You can uh, find more details on my website or just go, you know, search money life balance in Facebook. But basically there's over, I think 1,800 people now. I can't remember. Um, But there's a good big group of us. Uh, It's been around for a couple of years now. And I just created it as a way to have a safe space where we can all talk about money, all components of money, taxes, um, you know, investing, saving whatever the case. And it is basically a great space where you can ask any of your questions. You can be American, you can be Canadian, you can be from any part of the world. Join in. And you can ask your questions um, and just see what other people say and also see what other people are doing with their money. But basically, the reason I created it was, you know, as much as I love, you know, Reddit and lots of other Facebook groups, a lot of people have a lot of opinions and they can be super judgy or just give bad information. And so I needed to create my own group so I can monitor it, so I can make sure that the information that is um, being kind of put out there uh, is accurate and correct. And I usually am in there to correcting people. um, Or, you know, if someone has basically kind of a Negative attitude. Well, bye. There's no room for you. This is a judgment free zone. It's all about positivity and, uh, you know, empowering each other and learning from each other so we can all be better at money. So make sure to join the Facebook group and uh, I'd love to see you in there. We're always chatting in there. We share like Friday wins. It's just like a good old time. Another thing I highly recommend you do if you haven't already is, um, you know, uh, check me out on the gram. I am uh, more active on Instagram now and I'm actually having a lot of fun. So um, if you want to see what I'm up to more than you know what I kind of share on Facebook or Twitter, um, that is where you'd find me on uh, Instagram. And my handle is just Jessica I Morehouse. Once again, that's Jessica I Morehouse on the Instagram. Um, okay. That is it for me. Thanks so much for listening. I'm going to be back here next week with a fresh new episode of the show. So thanks a bunch. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to leave me a review on iTunes if you would be so kind. And I will see you back here next Wednesday with a fresh new episode.